You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. So this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have uh, Udo Erasmus. He's a pioneer of the health and wellness industry, having created flax oil and the healthy fats movement. He's also the co-founder of Udo's Choice Supplement brand. It's a global leader in cutting-edge health products. They've sold tens of millions of bottles of healthy oils, probiotics, and digestive enzymes. He's also an accomplished author, including Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill, which sold over 250,000 copies. And he's got an extensive education in biochemistry and biology, a master's in counseling psychology from Adler University. And uh, he's impacted over 5 million lives by uh, conducting thousands of presentations and interviews and trainings. And glad to have him. So, Udo, thanks for being here. I'm really glad to be on, Richard. Yeah. Um, so you have quite a background. What's, uh, you know, without gory detail, what's a little bit of your own journey been like? You know, have you had your own health health struggles? Like what prompted you to get into <clears throat> health and do so well, much what- in it? Yeah, what prompted me to get into health is I, when my marriage broke up, I got really upset and I took a job as a pesticide sprayer because it allowed me to kill things. And uh, after three years of spraying them very carelessly in a job, I got poisoned by pesticides. It's a predictable outcome. And the doctors, when I went to the doctor, she said to me, we don't have anything for pesticide poisoning. And that was the day I realized that my health is my responsibility. And uh, I then, because I had the background of biochemistry and genetics and, and biological sciences, uh, was pretty extensive. I went into the journals and started looking for health and nutrition and disease and nutrition. Because if the body's made out of food, that's probably the first place we should look to make changes when something goes wrong. And uh, in, the co- in the process of that, I found out how much damage is done to oils when they're being made and when they're being used because they are the most sensitive of all of our nutrients and they need to be treated with the most care, but we actually treat them with the least care. And I said, well, Hmm. I can't get healthy on damaged oils. We should make them with health in mind. And that was the beginning of designing a way for making these sensitive nutrients with health in mind. And that out of that came flax oil and all the other stuff I'm I'm doing. Well, what what happens with oils? Is it that people cook them and then they degrade or store them properly in the heat or what happens to them? All of the above. They, they, they're very sensitive to damage by light, by oxygen, by heat, then by water, and then by minerals. 
So they're really, really sensitive. So they should be, uh, it, when you make them, you know, they're packaged well in the seeds. But then when you press the oil out, then it needs to be protected while it's being pressed, while it's being settled, while it's being filtered, while it's being filled from light, from oxygen and from heat. Because as soon as you expose them to that, they start reactions that break down the oils and then the oils lose their value to health. And in fact, if you look at all of nutrition and processing, more health problems of physical origin come from damaged oils than any other part of nutrition because they're so sensitive. And if you get an oil that is made the way industry makes oils, if you get a tablespoon of that oil, it's about 1% damaged and 1% damage gets you more than a million damaged molecules for every one of your body's 60 trillion cells. So you're talking about 60 quintillion damaged molecule in a tablespoon of oil. And they change mm -hmm. gene expression. And always they change gene expression in the wrong way. And so that's where your diseases from, from toxins, from toxic molecules come from. Well, how are the uh, oil molecules damaged and what do they do? specifically like what are, what's an example of that well there there are many different kinds of damage you can fragment molecules you can shift double bonds in the molecules you can cyclize them they cross link within triglycerides cross link across triglycerides they get dimerized trimerized polymerized so there are all kinds of different oh yeah trans fatty acid you twist molecules trans fatty acids are the only only damaged oil molecules that get much attention uh, but there's lots of other other kinds of damage, and they're not even measured. There's not there's not even any talk about it, and it's simply because they're chemically super super active. When you, when a photon hits a double bond, it creates free radicals, and you get thirty thousand chain reaction, thirty thousand reactions before that before it stops. And when when oxygen reacts with the oil, you get rancidity, and when you heat molecules uh, higher than a about 300 degrees then you get twisted molecules called trans fatty acids so there's mm. um and they're and they're just sensitive to it and it, it, in nature they're always packaged in in a seed or a nut and then they end up in your stomach and there's no light no oxygen no heat gets to them you know body temperature but not not high heat but when we put them in the frying pan this is beyond when they're being made when they're being made, they're treated with Drano, with window washing acid. Then they're bleached. That turns them rancid. Then they are heated to frying temperature. They've been fried before they go in the bottle, before they go on the shelf, before you even buy them. And then when you put them in the frying pan and you burn your food with them, you're turning the oil into smoke. You're, you're, you're burning the, the molecules in the foods as well as the oil. And you're changing them from something that existed in nature that your body knows how to deal with to something that never existed in nature. So life never made a program to break them down. Then they accumulate, you get inflammation, mm. and inflammation is behind most of our degenerative conditions, or many at least. So, uh, yeah, yeah. What kind of oils are prone to, uh, to being damaged more than others? Yeah, the, be the, the, yeah. the better the oil is for you when it's good, the worse it gets when you damage it. And the, the most sensitive are the omega-3s, and the omega-6s, those are the two essential fatty acids. That means you can't make them in your body. You have to have them to live and be healthy. They have to be brought in from outside, omega-3 and omega-6. And omega-3 is five times more sensitive than omega-6. And omega-6 is already 
really sensitive because most of the oils that that get you a million damaged molecules for every cell in your body in one tablespoon are omega-6 oils. When you do the same kind of processing to omega-3 oils, they're even more damaged. And when you take omega-3s from fish oil, that's even more damaged because that's five times more sensitive than the plant omega-3 that you find in flax. So these, these are the most sensitive of the most sensitive molecules. When they're saturated, they're, they're more stable. But if you heat them to frying temperature and turn your food brown, you know you turn the food brown, you've changed molecules from natural to unnatural. So, Well, if you eat out at a, you know, a restaurant, let's yeah. say, what's the likelihood that you're going to be getting a crappy oil to start with and then that the oil has been you know, either stored improperly or burned or processed to the point where it's just no good for you? 100% crappy oil, if you, unless it's extra virgin olive oil. And once you fry with it, it gets crappier, exponentially crappier. And, right, well, and fund- if you were to fundamentally, it, yeah. You know how much? How much? How bad? How, well, <laughs> how? It, if they, you just make an arbitrary scale, you know. Yeah. How, uh, okay. How bad frying, frying is the single worst thing we ever invented to do to our food, simply because we're burning it. Nature's mandate for every creature on the planet is fresh, whole, raw, organic food. Only human beings and the animals we feed decided we were smarter than that and departed from it for various reasons, with various justifications. But from a, from the health from the perspective of health, fresh, whole, raw, organic is still life's mandate in nature. Well, is there a way for you to use oil in your cooking and do it in such a way where it doesn't, you know, damage the oil very much? <clears throat> yes, you, you oils are not heating them to a certain temperature, or you know. Storing them properly, like what are some of the recommendations? Okay, here's the recommendation. You go back to, if you're going to cook, then you go back to cooking in water, like we used to do until 100 years ago when the oil industry began. You add good oils to the food after it comes off the heat. So you could put good oils in hot food, but not in the frying pan, because frying pan overheats it. Frying pan goes up to 420 Hmm. degrees. Water is only 212 so you cook in water and then and then you add oil after by the way olive oil was used that way olive oil has a very long history was extra virgin was not damaged because it's made from the flesh not from the seeds so you don't need the pressure they floated it off on water and and when they when they used olive oil they didn't use it for frying in mediterranean countries what they did is they cooked their vegetables in water poured off the water added oil for flavor and, and th- when you do it that way, the oils enhance y- your ability to absorb oil-soluble nutrients that are really good for health. And they also enhance the flavors of the foods because many of the flavors are oil-soluble. Well, when you say oils, what about butter um, and other things that you'd add yeah. to food? You know, what about spices, but especially butter first? Yeah, or, well, butter, you know, yeah, God butter is... margarine or other stuff. <laughs> yeah, God forbid is right. <laughs> Yeah, butter uh, butter is is mostly saturated. That's why it's hard at room temperature, unless of course you cook it in the in the summer. But um, butter is mostly saturated, so it is more stable. Coconut is more stable, but you still burn burn your food with it, so you're still creating toxicity. But it's more stable to keep. The best oil for health are the oils that need to be refrigerated that should not be used for frying. And they contain omega-3s and 6s. Flax oil is the richest source of omega-3s. Of omega-3, most of the cooking oils on the shelf 
contain some omega-6s. Most of them do not contain omega-3s. Omega-3 is the single most widespread essential nutrient deficiency of our time. Probably 99% of the population doesn't get enough omega-3s for optimum health. And if they get omega-3s, they get it super damaged in the form of fish oils when they could be getting it from seeds and nuts, eating flax or, or, or getting, it, getting it from omega-3 oil, plant-based omega-3 oils made with health in mind. Well, again, even with butter, should you not yeah. cook in it and just add it at the end? You know, to the to the food for taste, or that that would be that would be better from a health perspective. Yes, because anytime you okay. anytime you burn the food, you you you're creating poison. Oh, so how would you um, <clears throat> how would you cook food then with no oils? You know, what if it people don't want it to stick to the pan or just get all blackened? I mean, what can well, you do it, on the cooking side without the oil to uh, to make things cook properly? You so cook you, in you water. Something at the end. Yeah, you cook in water. And, and if you don't, you know, if you stir it while you're cooking it, then it won't stick to the bottom and it won't burn because you can also burn food in water if you don't stir it. And there are now pots that you can get where you don't have any water in the pot at all. And it's, it's made so that the heat is distributed and you're literally cooking, cooking the food in the water within the food. So you're not adding water on the outside. So there's, there's, you can buy a, sets of cookware that that work like that but fundamentally if you're going to cook don't cook in anything that gets hotter than water and then when it comes mm. off off the heat then you add the butter then you add the the flax oil then you add the 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 blends of oils that give you the essential fatty acids and improve in the what's nice about adding not the butter butter doesn't do it but when you get omega-3s and 6s, and especially omega-3s, they increase your energy metabolism. They increase oxygen metabolism. They give you, we've measured in athletes, 40 to 60% increase in stamina if they consume a tablespoon per 50 pounds of body weight per day of a blend that we call Udo's oil. And they put it in food and spread their intake out over the course of the day. Within 30 days, if they do their sport to exhaustion, they will have 40 to 60% increased stamina at the end of the 30 days. It's like, it's really remarkable. And, and not only that, but their reflexes are sharper. They recover quicker. Their injuries heal quicker. Their joints are more flexible and mobile. They have less injury in, and, and uh, inflammation and pain in their joints. They sleep better. Their skin is nicer. Their IQ improves, although that takes more than 30 days. It's probably more like six months three to nine points just by get, just by bringing in the, the essential fatty acids, the omega-3 and the omega-6 that the body has to have, but that either we get in a damaged form or we don't get enough of. What's in your uh, oil mixture? How is it stored properly and how is it used <clears throat> cooking properly? Yeah, the, the, what's in the mixture, flax oil for omega-3, sunflower and sesame for omega-6s, some evening primrose oil, there is a little bit of coconut uh, fat. There is rice germ and oat germ oils. Uh, lecithin, that is GMO-free that we have to get from Europe because it's not available in North America, uh, GMO-free. And then vitamin E. Uh, you, what, what we do when we make it, we, it's pressed at low temperature under exclusion of light, oxygen, and heat. It's kept refrigerated in the factory 
It's refrigerated in the stores. So you find it in a brown glass bottle, in a box, in the fridge, in the supplement section, in the health food stores. So it's kept refrigerated in the stores. When you take it home, you refrigerate it at home. It does not get hard in the fridge. If you want a long shelf, you stick it in the freezer and freeze it solid because then when molecules don't move, they don't react. So you don't get you don't get damage to the oil and oil shrinks when it freezes. So you won't break the bottles. Water, water would break the bottles because it, it expands when it freezes. Oil shrinks so you don't break the bottles. And then you take it out and use it after the food comes off the heat. And when you're done with it, you stick it back in the free, in the, in the fridge. Hmm. Yeah. So, okay. so these are, so you know, so we're, we're saying, yeah, it's, yeah. it's better refrigerated. We say, look, you, you got to treat good oils like perishable foods because they're perishable. Mm. So good, treat them the way you, you put your salad in the fridge. You don't have a problem with that, right? But we're not used to doing that with oils just because the industry wasn't paying attention to the, to the sensitivity. And when they began in around 1900, they, what we now know wasn't as clearly known, but it's been known now for 30 years. I've been working with this now for 38 years. So we, we've known it, but the industry has never changed because they've never had to change because people are still buying the oil and the information is not as available as it should be. You're making it a slightly more available right, right now. So what, what are some simple ways to help improve your, uh, your eating? You know, um, if you eat out a lot, yes. you, you request foods that haven't been with no oil on them and then just add your own. Maybe you bring some with you that's kept cold or... You, What's you your could do for eating out first of all. Yeah, you could do that. Uh, always, always buy the salad, right? Because the salad is in in when you eat out, the salad is the least damaged food. And in at home, that's true too. If you if you're used to frying your foods, so uh, and and go more plant based. There's the research is very clear now that if you want the longest life and the best health. You do it on a mainly plant-based diet. You head in the direction of more plants, less animal foods. Good for health, also good for the environment. And, uh, and you look for the foods that are cooked in water as opposed to cooked in oil. Uh, and and there's usually, you, you usually have some options on that. Or you can even ask them, look, I want it made this way. And, and depending on what restaurant you go in, they, they, they will accommodate you for the money they pay you. For the money you pay them, they will accommodate what you want. Hmm. Okay. So that's for eating out. Um, yeah. I mean, if you can have salad, great. If you can bring your own oil, great. Anything yeah. else you can do. What if you want to go to a restaurant where they're, you know, cooking food for you? Can you give them a simple instruction that will improve your meal a little bit? Or is it, is at that point, is it just too complicated for them to, uh, well, no, you could to say right to them, you? you could say to them, look, can you steam, can you steam whatever it is you want to eat? Can you steam it? And then, and, and then add, and then bring your oil and add the oil on it, uh, to it when it okay. arrives at your plate, at, at your, at your table. All right. You so steaming. That. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Steaming gotcha. or boiling. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I wanted to ask you about the, I guess I call it the Europe phenomena. You know, I recently went to Europe and, it definitely, I felt a lot less inflamed eating the food there. Uh-huh. And I wasn't as careful eating as I eat here. Okay. Have you studied? Have you studied this? I mean, what what's in food in Europe in general? It's a very general statement, but the U.S. just the food just seems to be fundamentally different. I don't know what it is, but it just seems like okay. breads and everything else in Europe uh, just seem to be a lot less inflammatory. I don't know why. Any thoughts okay. on I, your side as yeah, to what's going on? Yeah, sure. There? 
Sure. And and this is not just Europe. If you go to the Middle East or you go to uh, various places in Asia uh, where they eat more more traditionally than modernly, you find the same thing. More whole foods. So, for instance, the bread in Europe. White bread is an American invention. It's not a European invention. They ate whole grain breads. Like I, when I was a kid, I, I actually came out of Europe. I used to bake bread and we ground the the grains we we bought the grain we ground the grain turned it into flour had everything in it that was in the grain no fiber was removed no minerals were removed no vitamins were removed in white flour you've removed probably a, a third of the protein and anywhere between uh 25 and 80 percent of the minerals and vitamins and then you end up with a lot of starch but you're not ending up with the essential nutrients that people would get from grain. So that's just one example. Anytime you eat more whole foods, more close to how the foods were made in nature, you're going to get better nutrition. You're going to get more fiber. You're going to get less calories and you're going to get more of the essential nutrients that are required for the function of every cell in your body. Uh, And they also tend to be simpler. They are not as as they're not as inventive as people are in North America. It's just when you become inventive with your food, you usually mess it up. Processing is probably the biggest issue of food related illnesses because the damage done by protein, you're taking out things that should be in there, the essential nutrients, you're changing molecules and making them toxic. And between those two, is where most of our physical diseases of physical origin originate. And in, in, in traditional diets, and of course, Europe has like a, thousands of years of, of tradition, they are simpler in their food habits. And when I, I remember going to Sweden at one point on a tour and we and started asking for special things in my food, they looked at me kind of like with this really strange expression on their face like this, yeah. that looked like, why are you why are you complaining you're getting food you know because they had a war and you know they some of them still remember that they they were hungry during the war and food was hard to get and you didn't you didn't have entitlement to get everything fancied up you just ate what you got and you were lucky to be getting it and they still have a little bit that attitude that i've noticed i've noticed it in germany as well in sweden as well and and I would say that because they've been living in cities uh, and and away from nature longer than we've had, we have in North America, I think they have paid more attention to keeping the foods more in line with nature than we tend to do in North America. Now, the other reason would be if people are really poor, then they can't afford all the fancy stuff. So they eat, you know, they they eat what grows the way it grows. And they don't they don't process it, and they tend to be healthier because of that. Yeah, I just wondered if you had noticed the effect. To me, it seemed uh, pretty dramatic. I literally yeah. felt uh, inches less inflamed and just better. Yeah, it took yeah. me a while, and, but I just felt a lot better. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I I'm not surprised. I uh, I I am not surprised. Uh, I don't know wh- how you eat different in Europe than in than in North America. You you would know that better than I do. Because yep. maybe you also make different choices in North America. Maybe the steak is a little bit. Uh, maybe maybe you have more steaks in in North America than in Europe. Might that that would make a oh. difference too. The other thing is too they don't they don't use antibiotics and hormones and pesticides mm. Mm. in their meat. 
there's less stuff in their meat, they tend to grow them cleaner because mm. they're, they're more familiar with chemical, chemical toxicity in the environment from, from all of the things that happen, that happen in Europe during the war and, and, uh, you know, and just, just culturally over years. Yeah, you know, what's tough is you can't tell, you know, if you're going to eat uh, I don't know, a piece of chicken, if I put two pieces of chicken side by side and yeah, you can't tell the difference one way, one was another, one was yeah. injected with hormones, one, not, one the not, I mean, you just right. can't tell. Right. You can't tell because molecules are really, 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 really small. <laughs> But but yeah. it, but it, but your body obviously can tell the difference because you just told me it does, right? Oh yeah, no. I I'm, yeah. as I become more sensitive to it, I can feel it. You know, like we used to go to lots of barbecue places, and I thought it was really good. And yeah. um, you know, then my wife would get like you know grass fed meat and uh, you know organic meat, and now if we eat like a standard barbecue place, we feel like oh, you know, and if we eat yeah. the good stuff, we feel much yeah. better. Yeah, and I think the way in North America, the way you go about it is you go, you look for organic and you look for grass-fed and you look for, you know, even those, but even those terms in advertising, they cheat sometimes. So it's almost like you got to get to know somebody who is philosophically aligned with natural and get your, and get your, those products from a, someone you trust to actually be doing what they say they're doing because not everybody does what they say they're doing. Yeah. No, I've, I've heard of, you know, grass fed versus grass finished and there's all kinds of ways. Yeah. 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 Be, yeah. Tr- and be even, tricky. Yeah. I'll give you even a, an example, you know, whole wheat bread, you know, we, you, we have white bread and then we have whole wheat bread, you know, mm-hmm. whole wheat is not whole wheat is not whole wheat. They take out 20 minerals and they add three of them back and then they call it whole wheat yeah. or they add a little brand back and they call it whole wheat bread, but it's not whole wheat. Hmm. And and that and there those you know it's called huffing and puffing. You're a lawyer, right? Uh no, no, I'm not an oh, attorney. I just oh. do this. I work with them, oh. but I'm not an attorney. Okay, yeah. what I about thought, it? I thought you were right. Well, you know, in 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 advertising, they call it huffing and puffing. Huffing and puffing <laughs> means means lying in order to promote your product, and it, huffing and puffing is allowed legally. <laughs> so I learned that in a lawsuit that I was in. So oh, yeah, huffing and oh, no. it's oh it's mere huffing and puffing. Huffing and puffing. How about the huffing and huffing and puffington post? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, well, the huffing and puffing is basically lying, right? I know. Lying. I was just making a play on words. The huffington yeah. puffington post. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huffington. Yeah. Anyway, and 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 why do people lie? There's always two reasons. Either they're trying to avoid pain, or they're trying to gain an advantage without effort. Hmm. That's pretty pretty much the only two reasons why people lie. Okay. And uh, and if if money is the is the measure of all things for you, then you'll do whatever it takes to make more money with the with with the effort that you have. And lying is the first is is, is the is the first uh, you know is the first is is the most effective method that people use. And they lie yeah. about they lie about their product, then they lie about their competitors' product, then they lie about the personality of their competitors. You know, and that's all part of the making themselves look better if they're not making the best product. If you make the best product, you don't have to lie. Mm. So um, if someone's, uh, you know, how does someone take the first steps towards using your oil? Yeah. You know, let's say, I don't know, they're just not brave or adventurous or committed enough to cook foods in the way that you're talking about doing it. Yeah. They still want to get benefits. Can they use your oil and still get some benefit if they're just, you know, for the most part, they're doing things. 
you know, they're still eating food the way they were eating, but now they decide right. to add your oil. Is yeah. that enough or you have to eliminate? Uh, yeah. Well, stuff. first, yeah. First of all, you don't, you don't want to cook with my oil. If you're cooking with my right. oil, you actually make it more toxic than what you're doing because the better the oil is for you, the worse it becomes when you fry it. If you add the oil, yes, you're going to get some good stuff, but you're still getting some bad stuff. The question you're asking, I call it the Russian roulette question. You know, the Russian roulette question is, what can I get away with? So, yes, it's better to to bring good oils in while you're also eating bad oils, but the bad oils will still have some bad effects. And a better question than to ask, what can I get away with, would be, uh, what would I need to do in order to have the best and longest life possible, given my genetic makeup? That would be a really good question. And then frying would be would be excluded. And maybe you can't do it overnight, but maybe maybe one less fried meal a week. Maybe after that, two less fried meals. Maybe after that, you know. So you you walk out of it and get used to a new way of doing things or a different way or a healthier way of doing things. And will that show up? You bet. <clears throat> yeah. So it's better to use good oils along with the bad ones, as long as you don't fry the good ones. But from a, from a health perspective, you can do better than that. And yes, change, well, okay. change is hard and it takes time. Yeah, there's degrees of uh, of doing. That's why I mentioned it. You know, what's something yeah. that people could do at least for a start, yeah. and then how can they get uh, more yeah. committed and more? You know, as they get more committed, what can they do? Yeah, probably the thing that'll if they if they get their tablespoon of fifty pounds of body weight mixed in foods spread out over the course of the day, they will probably notice some benefits that will make them a little more inspired to make the other changes. We've seen that consistently happen. But if you're not inspired, it's really hard to make changes, you know, and, and getting so uh, seeing see results. Mm-hmm. Right. So for a 200-pound person, it would be, what, four tablespoons a day of four tab- oil? Right. Yeah, four tablespoons a day. It's, it's ballpark uh, 25% of calories. Yeah. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Well, is, by, is it by body weight or it's by uh, caloric body intake? Weight. Body weight. My body weight. Okay, great. Body weight. So if a person is 300 pounds, they start with six tablespoons. One of the reasons why we do it that way is if you're overweight, the omega-3s increase energy level, oxidation level, uh, fat burning, and then you lower your carb intake at the same time. So you can use the the oils for weight. You actually end, end up on a keto diet, except you're ending up on a keto diet that has the essential fatty acids in it, which is the best keto diet you can get. And the the omega threes in the in that diet increase fat burning in the body. Okay. So, so, very- so what are the uh, anecdotal results you've gotten from people? What have they said to you after how long of uh, you know of having the oil? And were they being strict, or were they just adding it to their existing well, regime? You know, what are no, some examples? I- well, I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how we found this out because I didn't know this. This research wasn't done when I started. We, I, we, I got reports when people started taking the oil that they had lost weight, and it was so consistent that I said that I started recommending it for weight loss. And then I got some feedback from some people who said, you know, I did what you said, but I actually gained a few pounds. So then I said, okay, well, what are you doing? And what I found was if they. Sw- if they use the oils for energy instead of carbs, instead of carbs, 
So they lowered the carbs when they increased the oil. They got weight loss results. When they added the oils and kept eating the carbohydrates, it didn't work. So you literally need to do fuel shift from making from 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 making carbs your main fuel to making good oils your main fuel. When you do it that that way, it works consistently. And there are two reasons why people get overweight. One is fat, which is extra calories, usually from eating more carbs than they burn, because the body has to turn any carbs you don't burn into fat for storage. That's the law in the body. And the second one is from inflammation. And when you get inflammation, you get water retention. So most, a lot of the overweight can just be water held in your tissues. So we had a, a guy in Norway who lost 42 pounds uh, in a matter of like six weeks. That's like a pound a day. And you can't right. lose fat. You can't lose fat that fast. So what happened to him is he had inflammation in his body. Omega-3s decrease inflammation. When you get rid of the inflammation, your your tissue lets go of the water and you basically pee out your overweight. Okay. But with 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 when you're overweight from carbs, it takes longer. You you might mm. lose you might lose a a pound a week, even a pound every two weeks. It helps, of course, if you do exercise and lower your carbs and increase your oil at the same time. Uh, obviously, the more the the more active you are, the more you burn the fats. And if you're if you're doing a a diet where the good oils are your main fuel, then you're not you're you're not turning on fat production. So you're burning fats but not making fats. And you and lowering the carbs makes that possible. If you eat too many carbs, they will override the oils. So you really have to make a switch, not an addition of the oils mm. as fuel. Uh, and consistently, people lost 10 pounds, 15 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds. It's very consistent. I've been doing this now. I've been working with the oil blend since 1994. So we're talking oh, wow. 25 years. And I've been to 40 countries. Um, and I invite the feedback. I've gotten lots of feedback. People people are very impressed. And it's a, very, it's a, it's a painless way. You know, instead of counting calories and doing this and that. So the other thing is that oils, oils suppress appetite. The reason why you don't get overweight on oils, even though have, they have double the calories of carbs, is because oils actually suppress appetite. So you don't end up overeating and you don't get the blood sugar swings and the energy swings and the mood swings and the cravings that people get on carbs. And so the best and so carbs make people overweight for a whole bunch of reasons that have to do with our physiology. You know, if you look at your body, you can only store one pound of carbs in your body, but you could store 300 pounds of fat in your body by nature. So fat has always been our main main fuel uh, storage. And we've had people run marathons. They used to carb load before the race. But then after 20, uh, 20 miles, they would hit the wall because the pound of carbs that they can store as glycogen, that's gone by the time they hit the 20th mile. Then they would drag themselves for the last six miles. So we said to them, no, no, you're doing it wrong. You need to carb deplete so that your fat burning mechanism is turned off, is turned on, sorry, is turned on the moment that you start running. And then you run the entire race on fats. And the it ones that did it, 
And the ones that did it, they came back and they said, wow, that was awesome. After I finished the marathon, I felt like I had enough energy to run another one. And because in, in, in the body, if you're 8% body fat and you're normal weight and you burn half of the fat, you can run 300 miles on that. Whereas with carbs, you, give, you only get 20, right? So fats, yeah. and not only have fats been our, our, our main energy storage, they're also, they're, they're our fur. You know, animals have fur that keeps them warm. We keep warm with that with fat under our skin, so that becomes our insulation against cold. So, uh, but it's also fat. It's also energy storage. It's really nice. There's some research that says the reason why human beings were able to uh, kill animals in Africa many many years ago when they had sharpened sticks to hunt with is because. They had more body fat. We have more body fat than any animals. Animals maybe two to five percent body fat. We, we usually eight to fifteen. And the reason why they could, they ran down those animals. They ran them down. They didn't, you know, they they weren't massively amazing hunters. They just ran them down because they would literally run after them, and the animals would run faster. But they couldn't store up more fat, and they literally ran them out of fat. And then they would basically collapse, and then would, then they would kill them. And they and the only reason we could do that is because we store more fat, so we can run for a longer time because we have a fuel uh, supply that can keep us running for for hundreds of miles, whereas the animals yeah. had less fat and they would run out. So there's uh, so lots of lots of uh, lots of anecdotes about. The benefits people have gotten, even in brain function and ability to concentrate, uh, in pain in their joints, uh, very consistent. Okay, and, well, there's, and there's also research that shows that when you become deficient in essential fatty acids, your wounds won't heal. So, so that they have a, a, an effect in healing injuries Make, makes complete sense. All right. Well, you know, we're we're just about out of time. What's yeah, I want to give people an opportunity to get the product. What, what's the best way for them to uh, to connect and you know get information and get uh, the product? Yeah, I have a website, uh, udoerasmus.com. I have a book called Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill. I have a second book that is an overview of everything that affects health, which is everything. It's called The Book on Total Sexy Health, The Eight Key Parts Designed by Nature. All of that you can find on the website, udoerasmus.com uh, or theudo.com, D-O, theudo.com. Yeah. Uh, and, and the oils are, are in, uh, in the fridge, in the health food stores, in the supplement section, and it's called Udo's Oil. And uh, that's basically, I think that's about it. Okay, very good. Well, yeah. Udo, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. I really appreciate you being an amplifier for my little message. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. 
FutureTech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.